like a friend that can stick closer than a brother. He's the only friend that even the grave can't keep him out. He's the only friend when the dungeons, amen, and everybody else is locked out, amen, he can still walk in. He's a friend when they got all kind of rules and regulations and said nobody's allowed, he can step in anyway. Even his own disciples can close up the doors, but he can step through without opening the door. Because he is a door and a way maker. He's a friend in this house tonight. As we stand together and honor the man of God tonight. We're so thankful to have Brother Sanford with us come and preach to us the Word of God, the Word of life. Amen. Thank God for the Word. Amen. What would we do tonight if it wasn't for the Word of God to, that we can hold, that we can build our lives upon? We can go back and read and study and, and war against the powers of evil and wickedness and darkness of this world tonight. Appreciate Brother Sanford. He drives all the way down here. I'm sure he'd be just driving back tonight. And hey man, young man, don't seem to bother him. But uh, that's a that's a 12 hour. In case you don't, in case you know, some people said, "Wait, well, ain't got but an hour up in the pulpit." Well, it's 12 hours before it's all over with. <laughs> Amen. Before he gets here and gets through and gets back home, it'd be a good 12 hour shift that he puts in. Amen. Praise God. Let's give him a good Bendel welcome to this pulpit again tonight. God bless. Him. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Oh, why don't you lift your hands and lift your voice one more time. Oh, the Holy Ghost is in the house this evening. Amen. And aren't you thankful to be in His presence? Aren't you thankful that He's just as much God on a Wednesday night as He is on a Sunday morning? Amen. And it's an honor to be back in the house of the Lord with you tonight. And uh, I will quickly go to Revelation chapter number 2. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter number 2. And um, as you're finding that this evening, I would like to once again give honor uh, to your pastor and his wife. And uh, give them honor tonight. And also, happy birthday, Sister Moore. Amen. Give them honor tonight. And also, each and every one of you who are in the house of the Lord, uh, thank you for being in church on a Wednesday night. Uh, I go a lot of places, and um, I'm not sure how it is here, but I go a lot of places, and and uh, pastors tell me continually that their midweek services have still taken a hit uh, because of COVID, uh, but it's good to see every one of you in the house of the Lord tonight, and uh, I am a firm believer that God honors faithfulness to his house. I believe that, and I believe that God is going to uh, speak to us this evening. Revelation chapter number 2, verse number 12. The Bible says, these are the words of John speaking to the angel of the church in Pergamos. God speaks to John and says, and write to the angel or write to the pastor of the church in Pergamos. And he says, I want you to say these things. These things saith he that hath the sharp sword with two edges. This is what the Lord is speaking to the church of Pergamos about through John. He says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? He says, I know thy works. I know the church that you're trying to build in that city. He says, I see the people that you're trying to reach and the lives you're trying to have an impact on. He says, I see your works. But at the same time, I see where thou dwellest. 
even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Now that's not something to get excited about whenever God speaks to the pastor and he says, I know where your church is. You're exactly where Satan lives. The throne of Satan is in the middle of that city you're trying to pastor. So for a few moments tonight, I want to look at that for a few moments. And I want to talk to you about the seat of Satan. The seat of Satan. Can we lift our hands one more time all over this house? And as your hands are lifted, why don't we ask the Lord to speak to our hearts one more time. Lord, we set aside every distraction. Lord, we put aside any and everything that would try to pull our attention away from you. God, I pray for the next few moments your word would have free course in this house. Lord, we believe that you still want to send revival in these last days. Lord, we believe that you still want to save and you want to deliver and you want to heal. And God, I pray tonight you would encourage your people again. In Jesus' name. Oh, why don't you give the Lord one more great hand clap. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this evening. Paul Harvey, the legend and icon in the world of broadcasting and radio, gave an interview back in the year of 1965. This wasn't something that Harvey was unaccustomed to because he had done various interviews before and many interviews would follow after this. But this particular interview that he gave on that day was, at that time, highly controversial and unlike anything that he had done prior and possibly anything that he would do after. The words that Harvey spoke on that day struck a nerve and sent a chill down the spines of those who would listen to that interview. It sent a shockwave throughout the land because no one had given an interview quite like this. No one had ever spoken with such jaw-dropping words like Harvey spoke with on that day. His infamous interview that he gave was entitled, If I Were Satan. And the bone-chilling words that Harvey spoke that day are still talked about some almost 60 years later, and they still continue to circulate the media world. He began his interview by saying that if I were Satan, I would gain control over the most powerful nation in the world. I would delude their minds into thinking that they had come from man's effort instead of God's blessings. I would promote an attitude of having things and using people instead of the other way around. I would dupe entire states into relying on gambling for their state's revenue. I would then convince the people that character is not an issue when it comes to leadership. I would make it legal to take the life of unborn babies. I would make it socially acceptable to take one's life and I would invent machines to make it convenient. 
I would cheapen human life as much as possible so that the life of animals are valued more than the lives of human beings. He then said, I would take God out of schools where even the mention of His name was a ground for lawsuit. He then says that I would come up with drugs that sedate the mind and target the young. And I would get sports heroes to advertise them. I would then gain control of the media so that every night I could pollute the minds of every family member for my agenda. I would attack the family, the backbone of any nation. I would make divorces acceptable and easy, even fashionable. Because if the family crumbles, so does the nation. I would compel people to express their most depraved fantasies on canvases and movie screens and I would call it art. I would convince the world that people are born homosexuals and their lifestyle should be accepted and even marveled at and even studied. I would then convince people that right and wrong are determined by a few who call themselves authorities and refer to their agendas as politically correct. I would persuade people that church is irrelevant and church is out of date. The Bible is for the naive. I would then dull the minds of Christians and make them believe that prayer is not important and faithfulness and obedience to God are just optional. And as the interview comes to a close on that afternoon, Harvey finishes the interview with this one statement, Brother Moore. He says, I guess I would leave things pretty much the way that they are. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to this pulpit tonight to tell you that it is in that final statement that garners my attention this evening more than any other statements Paul made in that interview. Watch carefully now because Harvey says, if I was going to step in the shoes of that fallen angel, if I was going to in fact become the deceiver, the serpent and the predator, if I was going to be the one to become Satan and do his work, Harvey bluntly and blatantly tells us how he would strip away the pure and replace it with poison. He emphatically shares with us how he would destroy everything that's good and in return build up everything that is wrong and immoral. He openly points to how he would tear down everything that is right and in return raise up everything that is wrong. But as Harvey looked at the world that he lived in in that day, Harvey quickly realized everything that he said that he would do if he was Satan was in fact already taking place and playing out and so Harvey says I would just leave everything pretty much the way that it is in fact I have come to this pulpit tonight to remind every one of us of a simple truth and that is ever since time began as we know it Satan has had his hand on the pulse of this world ever since he attempted his insurrection and heaven. It has been his intention to destroy everything that is godly and destroy everything that is pure ever since the first second ran off the clock. Ever since that moment he made his appearance in the garden. From the moment of deception until now, the enemy, the devil, has done his best to tear down and destroy everything that God created in the beginning. 
to fully gather what I'm going to preach tonight we need to understand that before his fall before he was kicked and evicted out of heaven Satan was formerly known as Lucifer or as the son of morning and Lucifer at this time according to your Bible was one of the three most powerful angels ever to be created some would even go so far as to suggest that it was Lucifer who was second only to God himself we have Michael the archangel we have Gabriel the messenger and Lucifer who at this time is what the Bible calls the anointed cherub that covereth and throughout the word of God these angels called cherubim their single purpose was to magnify the holiness and power of God every time you see cherubim angels in your Bible as we talked about Sunday they were always in the presence of God and they always offered up praise and worship to that God and it's interesting to note that Lucifer who is now called the devil was at one time called the anointed cherub that covereth and I have read the writings of Jewish scholars who believe that when Lucifer was called the anointed cherub that covereth it literally meant that Lucifer was the one who stood at the very throne of God and protected God's holiness the scholars point to a time when God speaks to Moses to take two golden cherubim and these two angels would cover the mercy seat on the ark of the covenant and that word cover in regards to covering the mercy seat is the same word used to describe Lucifer as the one who was anointed to cover and we understand that the mercy seat in the ark of the covenant represented the throne of God and they have come to believe that Lucifer was once responsible for covering the very throne of God they believe that Lucifer Lucifer, before he fell, protected everything that was pure and everything that was sacred. And knowing that, looking at the devil now, we come to the understanding that the devil who once now or now hates our souls once had the privilege of standing in the pristine presence of God. The very devil, ladies and gentlemen, that fights against us and wars against us, who desires to bring destruction into our life, was one anointed by the very hand of God that we feel in this house but we understand rebellion enters his heart and iniquity was found within him and from that moment of his fall he's no longer called Lucifer the son of morning but he's called Satan which means to become adversarial because now he no longer stands in the presence of God but he opposes God's presence he no longer protects God's throne but he wars against God's throne. The very thing that he protected and the very thing that he loved is now the very place he despises and wants to tear down. That's why the adversary attacks worship in churches. Because he once was the anointed cherub that covereth. And Lucifer knows the power of worship better than any of us in this room. He understands the power of praise more than any of us in this house. And that's why he attacks our worship. And that's why he attacks our praise. Because the devil understands something supernatural happens. And something supernatural begins to manifest when somebody gets in the presence of God and begins to worship. And that's why he 
hates worship. Can I tell you that's why he hates godliness and that's why he hates purity. It's why he tries to disrupt God's presence because he once felt it. He once lived in it. He once had access to it. And there's nobody alive who knows the power of God's presence more than that angel who once stood where we stand right now. Who knows worship better? Who knows godliness better? Who knows the presence and purity of God better? And I've come to tell us from the moment he was kicked out of heaven and fell like lightning and he takes the form of a serpent and the moment he beguiles Eve from that moment in Genesis until now, he has continued his attack all through the years. All you've got to do is look around the world that we live in right now and you can see the fingerprints of Satan scattered throughout our world. Even the nation that we live in. Because can I just be honest and tell us uh, we are living in a day uh, when Christian values uh, are being thrown out the window. Uh, We are living in an hour uh, when morals are being frowned upon. Uh, We are living in a nation uh, who once stood uh, on the foundation of Christianity uh, and the principles of the Bible. uh, But now that same nation uh, is so far removed uh, that people our own government uh, refuse to say the name of Jesus. Uh, They refuse to call us a Christian nation. Uh, I've come to tell this congregation it is the result of a fallen devil who's doing everything he can to tear down what God built up. We're living in an era where states are taking Bibles out of hotels. We are living in an era when people look at the Ten Commandments as ten suggestions or outdated ideas. We are living in an era right now where cities unveil nine-foot-tall satanic statues for their children to take pictures in their lap. That's not overseas. That's in Detroit, Michigan right now. I've come to tell you it's more than politics. It's more than left versus the right. It's more than Republicans and Democrats. It is the result of an angry devil who has come to this earth and he's trying to tear down everything that God's built up he's opposing everything that the church stands for your pastor's already said it we're in spiritual warfare it's no time to play games God did not call us to the playground he called us to the battleground and we're in a fight against an adversary all you gotta do is listen to the news all you've got to do is read the newspaper. All you've got to do is just look around. And it is apparent that the Satan that I'm talking about has got his fingerprints all over this world. We're living in a time where they tell our kids, you can be male or female or non-binary. You can, trans- you can identify as non-gender. We're living in that kind of generation right now where they're trying to put men and women's sports and all these things. They're trying to confuse and blur lines. You don't feel like you're a man, be a woman. You don't think you're a woman, be a man. I'm telling this congregation Satan is not kicked back somewhere taking it easy. He's not waiting to be cast into a lake of fire. He's not sitting with his feet propped up. But ever since he was kicked out of heaven, he's been planning and he's been plotting because he wants to destroy this world. Everything that God created in the beginning is everything that hell has been trying to destroy. Everything that God called good in your Bible the very thing that hell has tried to fight after and destroy. It's why we now have the things that we have to deal with. It was a little rebellion in Genesis. 
He beguiled Eve to make her doubt God's word. But their Bible says by one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world. It started out as disobedience, but now we've got rape. It started out as disobedience, but now we've got murder and shootings. It started out as just being beguiled by his subtlety, but now we've got AIDS and disease and abortion and so many other things we've got to deal with. I've come to tell you it's because there is an angry devil who's doing his best to stop the progress of the church. That's why you can look it up tonight and the fastest growing religion in America is not Christianity it's not Judaism the fastest growing religion in America right now is witchcraft or Wicca and it's the result of a devil who understands he only has but a short time to work. Brother Moore, I was asked a few years ago if I thought that Satan always stayed within the, the, the bounds of hell at all time. And my answer was simply no. Maybe I'm wrong. But I said the reason I said no is he's not staying around people that he's already got. We are minimizing the, the agenda of hell. And we are minimizing the passion that hell has. Hell understands. What good is it to just stay around here? I've already got these people. But you got to understand, his throne is not in hell. But his throne is in this world. This world is his place of operation. Hell is his place of incarceration. But this is where he comes to operate. And he desires to destroy the souls of humanity. God called this world good when he created it. But when he created man, he called it very good. You must understand humanity is the apex of God's creation. And that's what hell wants more than anything else. When Eve was beguiled, God began to place curses on everyone involved. He looks at Adam and says, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to earn a living. He looks at Eve and says, you're going to know the pain of childbirth. But he looks at the serpent and he says, upon thy belly shalt thou go and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life it's amazing that God says you're going to eat of the dust from here on out and humanity was made from the dust of the ground and I believe it was a prophetic utterance that God was saying from this day forward because you beguiled Eve you're going to feed on the souls of humanity you're going to feed on the dust of the earth Adam was made from the dust Eve came from the side of Adam and I've come to tell you that's why the adversary is attacking families like he is and that's why the devil is attacking our kids like he is that's why the adversary is attacking our homes and our churches because he feeds on the dust of the earth. He knows he has but a short time to work. That's why your Bible says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, knowing he has but a short time to work. Can I tell this congregation that hell's focus isn't on those he already has, but it's on those that he's yet to get. Maybe that's why the Bible says hell enlarges herself every single day. Hell is doing such a good job. He has to have a renovation project going every day because hell's not satisfied until every truth-believing church has been shut down. Hell 
hell's not content until every pastor's burnt out. Hell is not merely complacent until every saint walks away and until every young person backslides. You've got to hear this preacher tonight. He understands that the clock is ticking and there's not much time left. And I pray that the church would have such as much passion as hell does. Hell knows it's about to wrap up. It's time for the church to get as passionate as hell already is. Hell understands the clock's ticking. He understands the day's coming. I'm going to be bound and cast into a bottomless pit. And then there's thousand years are going to pass. I'm going to be cast into a lake of fire. And that's why hell works every day with a motivation. That's why he attacks the church. That's why he tries to destroy the work of God. That's why he wants to see the house of God crumble. Can I just preach to everybody in this room tonight and tell you the adversary of your soul wants you to forfeit your faithfulness. He wants you to surrender your shout. He wants you to lose your love. He is your adversary, and it's in his very nature. He wants to attack the families, assassinate the ministry, and annihilate our potential. That's why Jesus said, the thief cometh, but to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill your revival. He wants to steal your joy, and he wants to destroy the work of God. I've come to tell this congregation, that's who you're fighting against. That's what we're warring against. That's where the battle with. Hell's not taking days off. Hell's not clocking out. But hell understands I only have a short time. I've come to tell you, hell is in such opposition against every church. He doesn't want this church to grow. Hell is in such opposition of this church because he understands you're a voice of truth in this region. And hell doesn't want this church to experience revival. Hell doesn't want this church to experience a harvest. Hell doesn't want this church to see people baptized in Jesus' name. He doesn't want to see people come through those doors and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hell doesn't want to see backsliders like we heard about tonight come back in and realize God still has something for me. God hasn't given up on me. Hell wants to shut the doors of this church. He doesn't want people to be restored. He doesn't want people to be redeemed. He doesn't want you to be healed. He doesn't want your family to be saved. I've come to tell you that's what we're fighting against. Let me just interject right here. That's why it's imperative that we pray every day for our local church. That's why we've got to have members of the body to say I'm not just going to count on pastor's prayers and I'm not just going to count over the Barry's prayers. I'm not just going to lean on leadership's prayers. Listen, they pray and they fast but that's why we need the entire church as a whole because we're up against something that's fighting us. We're up against spiritual resistance, wickedness in high places. That's what you're against and we've got to fall on our knees every day and we've got to go to God in prayer because God wants to send revival. God wants to send a shaking. God wants to turn our schools upside down. God wants to shake our communities But I've come to tell you, hell is doing everything he can to stop the progress of the church. If we're not careful, we can look at the fight that we're in. We can look at how long the battle's been going on. We can look at our world, our nation, and see everything that's unfolding before our eyes. 
If we're not careful, we'll become convinced that hell is too strong. The fight's too hard. I take you this evening to our opening text. Because it is in Revelation chapter 2 where you and I find ourselves reading about a church that had been planted in the city of Pergamos. It was one of seven churches that God specifically spoke to the pastor of those churches. Revelation 2 and 3. But this is the church that was planted in the city of Pergamos. The city of Pergamos, according to John's writings, was the church at Satan's seat. In the Greek language, it is translated to meaning the church where Satan's throne was. You must understand that the city of Pergamos was, in fact, the center of four pagan cults in that day. This city boasted gorgeous and magnificent temples that were built to accommodate the idolatrous worship of Caesar. It was the center of the worship of the Greeks. It was the place where Satan's seat was, said John. Understand, it wasn't just a city where Satan existed. It wasn't just a city where Satan had power or authority. It wasn't just a city where Satan worked and visited from time to time. But it was a place where his throne was established. It was a mark of permanent residence. You must understand that thrones in your Bible represent power and authority. Thrones were those things that were occupied by individuals uh, who would obtain control in that region. Uh, and what's amazing to me is this. Uh, Satan uh, had looked up the city of Pergamos uh, and said, I'm going to put my throne in that city. Uh, I'm going to make a permanent place of residence in that city. Uh, I'm not just going to have the synagogue of Satan. Uh, the city of Smyrna have the synagogue of Satan. Uh, but Pergamos uh, had the very throne of Satan. Uh, he literally sat down in the middle of that city he didn't just visit Pergamos he didn't just check in and out of Pergamos but his throne sat in that city the word Pergamos means much married which was a symbolic reference to the fact that Christianity at that time was being married to the paganism through the things that Constantine began to preach you must understand that at this time in human history, uh, when the words began to go forth to the city of Pergamos, it was around the first century, uh, and it was an, indeed an age of spiritual compromise, uh, and it was an age of spiritual decline. Uh, when you begin to dig into the historical books and begin to read about Christianity uh, at the turn of the first century, uh, you would be quick to realize that Satan could not destroy the church uh, from the outside in, uh, and so he infiltrated the church with pagan worship. Uh, and said, if I can't defeat the church from the outside in, I'll defeat the church from the inside out. I'll plant false doctrine. I'll plant paganism. The Bible tells us, or history books tell us, that Pentecost had been poured out in 33 A.D. But now, almost 70 years later from that experience, Pentecost was a distant memory. Eleven of the twelve disciples had been martyred. And the history books tells us that people were leaving the church and they were forgetting the doctrine that the apostles had preached to them. The doctrine that the apostles had taught them. The baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost was being blurred between everything Constantine began 
begin to preach. And this was a time when the idea of the Trinity began to gain steam. It wasn't until a couple hundred years later when it got a foothold. But it was at the turn of the first century that Constantine began to plant ideas of this triune God. It was a time when God's name was in question. Satan had seemingly choked the life out of that city. In fact, the Bible tells us that Antipas, a faithful preacher in that day, became a martyr who was slain by the lunatics in that city of Pergamos. Because it tells us they took this preacher, man, this man by the name of Antipas, and they placed him into a brazen bull. And they placed that brazen bull over a fire. And they left that preacher in that bull until his skin melted off of his bones. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you, it wasn't just a city that Satan visited. It wasn't just a city that Satan looked in its direction. It was a city where Satan's throne was established. It was a city where Satan said, if you want to find me, I'm in this city. We could ask the question, why in the world would this city catch the eye of Satan to the point that he says, I'm going to put my throne there. I'm going to have power and authority in that region. Why was this the city where he established his throne? When you begin to dig even deeper into that city, you would be quick to realize that the emperor worship that was set up there, the worship of Caesar, Pergamos, was the first city, in fact, in history who built a temple for the idolatrous worship of Caesar. And maybe that's why the devil said, I'm going to go put my throne there. But then you could take it a step further and you could see the magnificent temple that was built to Zeus. It was the largest and most famous altar in the world. 40 feet high. 90 feet square. In fact, they tell me that this altar was in fact shaped like a throne. And it was sat at the Acropolis or the highest place in that city. And in those days, they would always put their worship point at the highest place. And that's why the altar of Zeus was put at the Acropolis or the highest place of that city. And it was there where everybody was forced to turn their head and look. It was on that altar of Zeus where human sacrifices were made in honor of that altar. And maybe that's why the city was called the seat of Satan. You have the pagan worship of Caesar. You have the altar of Zeus where sacrifices are played out. But then you have the very strange and bizarre worship of Asclepius. Asclepius was known as the god of healing. And she was in fact known as the god in the city of Pergamos. And all you've got to do is look at the medical field. And her symbol still exists to this very day. Because if you've ever seen an ambulance drive by or you've ever been to a hospital you notice the pole is there with a the snake wrapped around it. That's where the emblem came from. Because she was known as the god of healing. And they tell me that if you wanted to come in contact with the power of Asclepius. If you wanted to feel her supernatural energy, they said all you would have to do was go into her temple at night, lay on the floor, and let thousands of snakes crawl over you. And they believed as those snakes crawled over you, the multiplicity of this God would crawl into your body and infuse your soul with spiritual healing. Maybe that's why the devil said, I'm going to go to that city. I'm going to put my throne there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a city that is under the care of the devil. 
And God begins to speak to John, the last remaining disciple. And he says, John, I want you to take out your pen and your paper. And I want you to start writing to the pastor of Pergamos. I want you to write to the angel of Pergamos. I want you to write to that church who's facing more opposition than I could ever imagine. He's writing to a church that's in a spiritual warfare that almost seems like a fantasy to some of us. We hear these kind of things and we really wonder, did that really happen? I've come to tell you that's what they were facing and that's what they were fighting and God speaks to John and says tell that pastor I know thy works I see the church you're trying to build I see the families you're trying to save I see the lives you're trying to impact I also see the location of your church I know you're trying to build a church But I also see that there's something else right next door to the church that you're trying to build. The throne of Satan has been established on the same street of your church. I know, God says to John, to that pastor, where your church is. Look at it carefully now, ladies and gentlemen. We have the blasphemous worship of Caesar. We have the altar of Zeus. We have the demonic activity through the God of Asclepius. But I've come to tell you it was right there in the midst of all of that demonic activity that there was a little band of believers who refused to accept defeat and they refused to shut the doors of the church and because of their refusal they just kept having church and it gets God's attention and God says John I've got a pastor I need you to write to I want you to tell him I see the church you're trying to build I see the revival you're trying to have I see hell is living next door but he says John I want you to encourage my body and tell them that in spite of all of that you've held fast in my name and you did not deny the faith you know what God was telling that church he says in spite of it all you remain faithful and you held on to truth and because of that Pergamos I'm about to send revival to that city Ladies and gentlemen, even in a place where the throne of Satan had been established, even in a city where Satan had power and authority, it did not, it was not able to take dominion to the point that God cannot come to that city and God's presence could not move in that city. There was a church who remained faithful. They were a church who held on to truth and because they were faithful and because they held on to truth, they had a move of God and they turned that city upside down. I've come to tell this church tonight in spite of the spirits they fought against. There was still a church. And I've come to tell this congregation tonight that just a little over a year and a half ago, one afternoon in prayer, I felt the Lord speak to my spirit and said, Son, the churches that I will visit in these last days, the churches that are going to experience my power in the end time are going to be churches that have done what Pergamos have done. If I'm going to visit churches in the end time, God says, I'm going to send my power and my presence to those who have held on to truth. You want to know the churches that's going to have revival? It's going to be the churches that just kept being faithful. If God's going to send revival to anybody, He's sending revival to churches that were faithful and held on to truth. 
And I've come to tell this congregation tonight uh, that yes, we may be in a spiritual battle. Uh, and yes, we may be fighting devils and demons. Uh, we may be in a warfare right now. Uh, but you've got a promise in God's Word uh, that said if God can send revival to Pergamos uh, because of their faithfulness, uh, He can send revival to Bendale uh, because of your faithfulness. Uh, if anybody's going to have revival, uh, it's going to be churches uh, who did not compromise uh, but held on to truth. In spite of all of that, there was still a church established. And you can look in the history books today. And you can see the impact that that church had in Pergamos. And I've come to tell us we may be living in a nation right now that's trying to move further and further away from Christianity. We may be living in a nation right now that refuses to say the name Jesus, that doesn't even want to hold a Bible in their hand. We may be under a government right now that's trying to take everything from us that our fathers fought for. But you know what? Don't look at that like we talked about Sunday. Get an understanding that God can still send revival and God can still send blessings and God can still send an increase and if God's going to do it for any church he's going to do it for those who stayed faithful and held on to truth can I tell you ladies and gentlemen that if anything gets God's attention it's faithfulness maybe that's why your Bible says he's going to look at us one day and say well done thou good and faithful servant God doesn't say well done thou good and successful servant because the world judges things by success but God says I don't look at success I look at faithfulness I look at people that fast and pray every day I look at churches that are willing to get on their knees and pray until my power shows up God says if I'm going to be attracted to any church in these last days it's going to be attracted to churches that have done those two things been faithful and held on to his name and I feel compelled by the Holy Ghost to tell this church you're going to be a recipient of that revival you're going to be a recipient of that harvest because you just kept being faithful and you just held on to truth. Fact is, it may seem like hell. The devil has put his throne in America. It may seem like hell has power and authority right now. But I've come to tell you in the midst of that fight, in the midst of that battle, that's where God shows up. Because revival has always been birthed through the fires of adversity. It was in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah that the Bible says, in the midst of those demonic strongholds, I'm almost finished. But watch this. In Sodom and Gomorrah, in the midst of those demonic strongholds, there's an angelic visitation that begins to unfold in those cities. Hear me tonight when I tell you, do not make the mistake of thinking that just because we're in the middle of evil surroundings, uh, that we cannot have an encounter from God. Because it was there in the midst of those two cities but the Bible says two angels came down and ministered to Lot. And I've come to remind this congregation on this Wednesday night that we can have a move of God right in the middle of the devil himself. You can experience God's touch in the middle of any situation. You can walk with angels in the midst of demons. We can walk in heavenly places while we're standing on hell's doorstep. We can have godly manifestations in ungodly situations. I've come to help this church 
church to be reminded of this fact. We can have a move of God regardless of what's happening in our world. Regardless of what's happening in our cities. Regardless of the chaos. I've come to tell you location has never been an issue with God. Look at the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. All you've got to do is look at the time when God says, now I'm going to send my spirit. And there ought to be a hope that gets a hold of us. And a faith ought to begin to build up inside of us. Because when God sent the Holy Ghost in 33 AD, it wasn't at some spiritual apex of society. But when God got ready to send revival, you can look at the history books. Adultery was running rampant in that city. Alcoholism dominated the households. 50% were enslaved by the other 50%. And this was the era that God looked at and said, now I'm going to send my power. Now I'm going to send my spirit. Because, brother Moore, I think God was making a point that it doesn't matter what hell is doing. It doesn't matter what sin is abounding. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And God sent the first outpouring of His Spirit in the midst of a world that was under the control of sin. Wasn't it the three Hebrew boys who were thrown into a fiery furnace? But it was in that fiery furnace that the fourth man showed up. Wasn't it Daniel who was thrown into a lion's den? But it was in that den of lions that the angel showed up and shut his mouth. Wasn't it the Bible that tells us that Israel was in Egypt? And the Bible says the more Egypt afflicted them, Israel said we still increased in number. The more they afflict us, the more we multiply and the more we grow. You know what? Let hell keep fighting. Let hell keep attacking. Because in the midst of the attack, the church is going to grow. In the midst of the battle, the church is going to increase. In the midst of everything that he throws against us, God can still sin revival in spite of everything that was working against that church in Pergamos. God says you've got my attention because you stayed faithful and you held on to my name. I've come to tell us this evening as they come to the music those are the churches I believe brother more that God's going to visit in the end time. He's going to visit those churches that just stayed faithful. Those churches that just kept marching when it wasn't easy. Those churches that just kept coming together believing when it wasn't popular. If God's going to visit anybody, He's going to visit those churches that held on to truth. Did not deny the faith. That's the very place revival showed up. Acts chapter 1 Promise is given. Jesus says, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea Samaria. Now, I'll be honest with you this evening that I don't have any trouble with him saying Jerusalem or Judea. Because I understand the spiritual significance of those two cities in the Bible. Jesus says, my power is just not coming to Jerusalem and Judea. But my power is coming to Samaria. The word's given. Something's coming to not just Jerusalem or Judea. But this power that you feel in a few days is going to come and shake Samaria. But seven chapters later, in Acts chapter 8, when it rolls around, 
Samaria has this promise that power's coming. Samaria has this promise that the Holy Ghost is going to visit that city. But just seven chapters later, the Bible says that there's a man by the name of Philip or Simon the sorcerer who had bewitched the city of Samaria. He had gained such control over that city that the Bible says there was no joy in that city. He had overshadowed that city with heaviness and despair. He had overshadowed that city such a dark cloud that there was no joy in that city. I can't help but believe, Brother Moore, that there were people in the city of Samaria in Acts chapter 8 who possibly heard the promise in Acts chapter 1 about power coming to your city. But now just seven chapters later, it seems like all hell's breaking loose. It seems like hell's working overtime. Bible says there goes a man by the name of Philip to Samaria. The Bible says he preaches deliverance to that city. And there was such a move of the Holy Ghost that it shook the city. And even Simon the sorcerer himself was baptized because he believed. I said that to say this. We have a promise in God's word. We can be a part of that end time revival and that end time harvest. We have promise after promise after promise in God's word that the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. We have a promise in God's word that says we can be a part of that extension. We can be among those that experience that end time harvest. Just because we have a promise doesn't mean hell's going to stop fighting. Jesus gave Samaria a promise, power's coming. But that didn't stop hell from attacking that city just seven chapters later. But in spite of the attack and in spite of the fight, God sent Philip down to that city and he preached deliverance. And the power that was prophesied seven chapters earlier is the power that manifests in that city. We can have a move of the Holy Ghost in 2021. On the tail end of a pandemic, in the midst of a nation that's doing their best to strip us of all of our religious freedoms and liberties, we can have a move of the Holy Ghost even under an administration that tries to belittle what we believe. God says, don't look at all that. My power can still come. Why don't we stand all over this house this evening? Why don't we lift our hands right now? Why don't we lift our hands with a confidence? Why don't we lift our voice with an assurance? That if any church is going to have revival, it's going to be this church. If any church is going to have a visitation, it's going to be this church. I feel the Holy Ghost trying to get in this house right now. If anybody's going to have a demonstration, it's going to be this church. Why can you say that? Because I believe I'm standing in the church tonight that stayed faithful. And you held on to truth. Why don't we step out of our pews and just come stand around the front for a few moments. And as they prepare to sing and lead us into worship, I want you, I wonder if we could connect with somebody right now if you, if you feel comfortable doing that. Why don't we connect with faith right now and just join hands or put arm around somebody's shoulder and believe that we're going to be a part of that end time harvest that God's going to send. 
God, if you send revival to any church in Mississippi, send it to this church. God, if you're going to send angels to any church, I want you to send it to this church. God, if you're going to save any family members, I want you to save mine. God, if you're going to bring back prodigals, I want you to bring back my children. God, we've been faithful. God, we've held on to truth. I feel the Holy Ghost right now to tell this congregation because God has seen your faithfulness and because you've held on to truth, God's about to send the power and God's about to show you just how great He is. Because if God rewards anybody, He rewards those that stay faithful. Come on, as they begin to sing right now, I've come to encourage you to keep praying, keep fasting, keep believing, keep fighting, because the revival will be worth it.
this is why I won't turn back. There's no other reason under the sun that you can think of tonight. Think about these little babies. Nehemiah encouraged the people, said, hey, fight for your wives, fight for your sons and your daughters. You can't fight for yourself, fight for your family. But get in the fight. There's a Montana laying right up that road, right up yonder. That needs to be brought out of the miry clay. I'm not getting out of the fight. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to listen to the doubters and the naysayers and everybody else. God's still in the business of healing bodies and doing what I cannot do. Not only for nothing, but in my own life. This is a place they ought to be brought to. That they can find their feverish brows being healed. This is a place they ought to be brought to. That they can find their little sick stomachs being healed. This is a place they ought to be brought to. That when cancers are praying, hey, if you heal my fevered brow and he healed my little sick stomach, he'll take care of cancer too. <laughs> Fight's got to be nice. If we ain't in it, Guess what? Who are we really fighting for? <laughs> He's never lost a battle. Never lost a battle. Not this God. And if we'll just let him fight through us, guess what? We're going to win. We're going to win. Keep on singing.
turn back because when a little wife has got her husband going into the hospital texting me we got to have some help amen we won't turn back and if we'll just be faithful God's going to do the work and God's going to do some work in some folks lives in this community that's going to shock the community and us too God's not through tickling ears folks doing the miraculous and the supernatural. God hadn't grown weary and his arms not short and his ears not dull of hearing. And his grace is sufficient. I'm telling you folks, the grace, I'm going to tell you something, the apostolic church needs the grace of God. She has got herself in a condition. She needs the grace of God. And when the apostolic church wakes up and realizes, hey, hey, what's available? What's right here? Through this grace. Hallelujah. I'll tell you, there's going to be an explosion. Hallelujah. Across our land. Gonna do it. God. Love you tonight. Appreciate you. Appreciate your response here tonight. Let's pray for our evangelists. Pray for the fivefold ministry. Pray for all the service coming. Let me remind you: if uh, this church has been invited Friday night, we're gonna party Friday night. Okay. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Friday night we're gonna party and uh, Sister Moore's birthday. Uh, so we're asking you to come be a part of it. Six thirty fellowship hall. Uh, it's come and go. If you can't stay but a few minutes, we understand. Uh, if you come too late, now you might miss it. <laughs> come and go. Come as you can, and you know, as, as late as you can. But if you wait too late, hey man, if you pull up and the parking lot's empty and lights are off, well, you know you missed it, okay? Praise God. Love you tonight. Appreciate you. Any other announcements we need to make? All right. Love you. Appreciate you. God bless you. Appreciate you.